Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with strength, speed, and power coach at the Sydney Roosters, Keir Wenham Flat. Right, welcome to. Pace Performance Podcast Episode 2. We've gone international for this episode and we've got uh, Keir Wenham Flat coming all the way from Sydney. So welcome, Keir. Thanks, Rob. Thank you for having me. Not a problem, mate. Not a problem. So anyone who doesn't know who Keir Wenham Flat is, would you be able to give us a little um, bit of background about yourself, where you are, what you're doing at the moment, where you've been? Yeah. Um, I am a strength and conditioning coach working in professional rugby league. At the moment, I work for uh, Sydney Roosters in the NRL competition in Australia, where I'm responsible for the team's uh, speed, power and strength work, and also some sports science stuff. Cool. Uh, I immigrated to Australia thanks to my Australian girlfriend in June of this year, uh, last year. And um, shortly after I arrived, I was um, lucky enough to go work with Argentina Rugby Union for the Southern Hemisphere Championship. Nice. And then before that, when I was in England, I worked for a few different teams in rugby union, uh, London Wasps, where I was in charge of the academy, uh, strength and conditioning, and then also Rotherham Titans and London Scottish in the championship. Nice. So going from Rotherham to Sydney, a little bit of a jump. How, how, did thing, how did things come about with regards to moving from Rotherham to Argentina? Well, you know, it's one of those things where... Um, relationships and network probably counts for more than qualifications yeah, despite yeah. all the effort that we all put into, uh, into qualifications definitely I uh, it, you know one job always led into the other for me it, it took me a long time to get a, an, an initial internship it took me two years of applications to get an internship with uh, wasps and even then that was in the back door working with the academy yeah but it was from that internship that I was became an assistant there and then from that became head of um, academy. It was through Wasps that I worked at London Scottish. And it was through a guy that I worked at London Scottish with that I ended up moving up to Rotherham. Um, and the, the Argentina job came about through Athletes Performance, who, who serviced that team. And it was only because I did the, the international mentorships in London through another connection of mine right. that I met AP. AP, like me, I did the job. And the, the Sydney job came about through uh, a lecture that I did at the University of Bolton. Right. I posted that up on YouTube. Yes. And, um, I remember. I watched yeah, it. It's, it was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it got around. You know, I've, I've met, I actually had lunch with a guy from Sri Lanka who's, who's watched that lecture. So oh, okay, it, nice. Yeah, it's paid dividends in terms of the network. And it was that that the interns here last year looked at. Right. And then that got passed up the chain and... Yeah, that was, that was how Sydney Roosters became aware of me. So you did the lecture at Bolton through because... I did. Yeah. So how did that come about initially? Uh, that was just because I uh, I did my postgrad at Bolton. Ah, I see. Okay. Yeah. When I left university, there was there was only two places that actually offered a specific strength and conditioning course. Yeah. Um, one of them was Bolton part-time and the other one was Edinburgh full-time. Oh, I see. And uh, I picked Bolton... To, to be down south with my girlfriend at the time and okay. uh, a week after I applied we broke up and then I just right. stopped with the decision nice 
So this this issue, well, not issue, but this relationship with athlete, athletes' performance, just talk to yeah. us a bit about that with regards to the Argentina, how that kind of relationship works and how you became part of it. Well, the the way AP work is is that they they have a, a sort of a, a methodology to what they do. It's not like a specific uh, method where you know there is the AP way of doing things. The AP stuff is more of a philosophy. Okay. So they'll have a certain structure of how they approach each session, yeah. and they'll have a structure to how they approach the year. And their their big thing about their philosophy is. Um, how do you take their stuff and make it work for you? So if there's something out there, can you evaluate it on its merits and include it in your own programming? And that's what they've tried to do with the Pumas. And, you know, a lot of people remember the 2007 World Cup, which is where the Pumas came third, uh, sort of out of nowhere. That was the first year that the Pumas had begun to work for AP. So it's been a massive part of their prep um, ever since. And, you know, for me, it was as simple as uh, a guy called Rob Walsh, who's a lecturer at Middlesex in uh, rehab science, also a strength and conditioning coach at Harrow School, uh, told me that AP were coming to to London in 2011. And I just attended that, that course there for, I think it was a week or four days. Right. Got on really well with the coaches stayed in contact with those coaches, you know, networking and relationships. Yeah, yeah. And then um, nearly a year later, I went out to do some work for Rugby Sevens in one of the Chinese Olympic centres, right. which which didn't work out. But then continuing that relationship, I was uh, I was in the right place at the right time when the, when the Pumas job came up last year. Very good. So this, this uh, athlete's performance in London, was it just a seminar or was it a course that you paid for? It's, they, they call it an international mentorship. Right. Uh, there's four levels. Uh, the, the first level, which was the one that I did in 2011, is basically the grounding in, you know, how they do things. So they, they break all their sessions down into different components. So they have what they call, uh, pillar prep, which is basically you're trying to address what most people would call the core. And you're trying to improve uh, deficits that you have from the functional movement screen. Okay, I see. Because for them, you know, that's that's the foundation of training. If if that isn't right, everything else that you put on top, which is the sexy stuff like strength and speed, doesn't work. Okay. Uh, then they do stuff like linear speed, multi-directional speed, which is a, a real big area that I think a lot of coaches miss out on. Definitely, without a doubt. They do, you know, regeneration, everything, and then it's it's real hands-on stuff as well. And then I, I've done level two as well. I've not done three and four yet because you actually have to go to the, the center in Arizona there. So it's, right. it's, it's a big deal to do the, the three and four. Yeah, of course. So did you, did you, was the thought behind you doing it just your own education or were you kind of half your eye on um, networking as well? I think it's a, it's, it's a bit of both. You okay. know, I think any, any learning opportunity that you do, there's going to be other like-minded coaches there. So... Well, you know, whether you think it is or it isn't, it's an opportunity to build your relationships and build your network and get yourself out there. Yeah. yeah. But the, I've spoken to, to coaches before about what the, the AP system offered and where I, I thought I was weak. And I realized, um, coming into coaching in my, my first and second year, I was very, very comfortable in the gym. Yeah. Uh, it, it was in terms of the, the speed, particularly multi-directional as well as linear. That I needed to improve upon 
Yeah. And, you know, the longer I go in my career, um, I've sort of said to you before that uh, a coach friend of mine, James Smith, always says that getting strong is just like falling out of a boat and hitting water. Like the real challenge as a coach is to get athletes fast. Yeah. And the longer I go on, the, the more important that becomes to me. So just, I know we're plugging athletes' performance a hell of a lot, but yeah. it's, that's fine, obviously. But um, yeah. how much was that level one that you did? That was, ooh, let me think. I think it was in the region of 2,000 US dollars. Okay. But, so it's a big investment, but yeah, if but, you consider what you're getting out of that, it, yeah. it's a real good investment. Yeah, so no, you're getting guys who do... You know, they do all the pros, uh, NHL, Major League Baseball, NFL Combine. Um, they do the military and SWAT teams in America. And that's a real where where science meets actual in-the-trenches coaches. Those yeah. are guys who are doing it every single day. And for, obviously for yourself, it was an investment paid off. Oh, massively, yeah. Yeah, massively. definitely. Cool. That's, that's good. Good stuff. So just getting into the... Um, from looking at your from looking at your website, which was your obviously your old one now, but we'll come on to your new one a bit later. Uh, a yeah. few things you posted online about Olympic lifting. I know we yeah. spoke about this before, but you're not a huge fan. Can, no, you, t- can you tell no, us? Can you, t- can you tell us why? Yeah, um, I think your your job as a strength and conditioning coach is to improve performance on the field. And if you can do that, your next job is to do that in the most efficient manner possible that causes the least amount of uh, detraction from what you do in the field and the least amount of coaching time, the least amount of fatigue, the least amount of aggravation of injuries and stuff. And I think in that regard, the Olympic lifts are, quite frankly, a pain in the ass. (laughs) You... (laughs) you tend to spend a huge amount of time coaching athletes on them, which means that you have to compromise the load for that huge amount of time that you're coaching them. And if you're compromising the load, you're going to compromise the training effect that you get. Um, They tend to aggravate wrists and shoulders, I find, particularly in contact sport athletes like rugby players. And I think, uh, I think it was Charlie Francis said, if you teach athletes something, you'll get a third that will get it straight away. You'll get a third that will get it after some time and you'll get a third that will never get it. And with the Olympic list being so technical, um, you know, they're a third that are never going to get it. And to an extent, you're robbing them of a training effect. Yeah. And I found that, you know, through, through research, there's a lot of scientific reasons not to do them in terms of specificity. But in terms of my own experience, you can still develop, you know, elite level speed, power, and strength without using those and using a lot more simple tools like plyometrics, jumps, and medicine balls, throws. So you just mentioned a little, a couple there, but how if you're going to go into a bit more depth in the alternatives that you use with your guys and from your experience, what what would they be? You've mentioned plyos and, and medicine balls, but more specifically, how would you sure. make that transfer? Well, you know, the, the number one goal, I think, in well... I'm, I'm a real big guy on the Soviet methods. I think the Soviets cracked it uh, 50 years ago or 40 years ago, mm. minus the drugs, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, they're, they're, they're incredibly logical about how they train. It's not about dogma. It's about what works. So the, the number one goal in the Soviet system is speed of movement. 
So how quickly can you execute your sporting skills? You know, if you, if you pass more quickly, the ball goes further. If you run more quickly, you're outrunning someone. If you run more quickly into contact, you're going in with more momentum and so on. So speed of movement is the goal. And obviously with rugby, we're a running-based sport. And how do we increase running speed? We increase horizontal propulsive forces and we minimize horizontal braking forces. So the, the big thing for me is, you know, where are we producing force with the Olympic list? We're producing them vertically. So in terms of specificity, they're not actually that specific to increasing running speed. Uh, whereas with jumps, uh, you know, say broad jumps, standing triple jumps, medicine ball throws uh, with horizontal force production, uh, plyometrics with horizontal force production, I think we're able to train to improve running speed in a lot more specific manner through the, the direction of force, um, the, the contact time over which it's applied, the movement velocity, uh, and what the, the service called the regime of muscular work, so the contraction type and the degree of muscular stretch that's involved. Very good. So if you, if you came to a, a team that was kind of heavily influenced by the Olympic lifts, would you... From your experience, would you come in and try to change things? Or because they're quite competent in their, their execution of the Olympic lifts, would you carry on with that? How would you kind of deal with that kind of situation? Well, I think you've got to balance a few different, a few different variables there. So, you know, big thing is the program doesn't count for shit unless the players believe in it. Yeah. So if they're married to the Olympic lifts and they believe that the Olympic lifts are, you know, the best thing since sliced bread, you've probably got to keep them in. Yeah. Um, if you're going to keep them in, I think you have to try and just coach them in a simple manner, you know, not get excessive with things like double knee bend and maybe doing the full lift on the floor. Yeah. If you can sort of truncate them a little bit and maybe do, you know, from the hang or power variations, that's probably going to play into your hands as a coach in terms of coaching time. Uh, however, with that said, in any team, you're always going to find athletes who are a little bit more forward thinking in uh, their approach to training that are going to try and adopt uh, newer methods. And it may be that you can slip those into the programs of those athletes. Yeah. Uh, and then other athletes maybe start to notice, oh, hang on, they're getting exactly the same results with me. And it takes them 30 seconds to learn an exercise versus six months and they still haven't got it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, very good. So you mentioned a little bit before about speed when it comes to and you mentioned the guy I'm going to talk about but you mentioned Charlie Francis and the influence he's had on you when when did you come kind of um, come into not into contact but hear about Charlie Francis work and what kind of influence has he had on you yeah well the um, two two coaches who've been a massive influence on me um, are Buddy Morris and James Smith now, both these guys coached together at the, the University of Pittsburgh. Um, Buddy Morris has, has coached the University of Pittsburgh. Um, I think he coached the Cincinnati Bengals. He's now head at the University of Buffalo. So he's, he's done it all. He's been in the game for 30 years, and he's one of the, the, the smartest and uh, most practical coaches that I've read. Yeah. He brought James Smith into the University of Pittsburgh. He's another... He's, I call him the rain man of strength and conditioning. He's got a ridiculous memory. He's incredibly <laughs> intelligent. And uh, he's worked at Pitt. He's worked at uh, Portugal Rugby Union. These guys are massive influences on me. And their massive influence is Charlie Francis. Yeah. So it was sort of through those guys that I discovered uh, 
um, Charlie Francis and delved deeper into his stuff. And um, I think Charlie Francis is the shining example of how to take real complex concepts like, you know, uh, high intensity CNS stresses, uh, training load, biomechanics of running, and just break them down incredibly simply so that his athletes can take it on board and make it work in the real world. And if you look at his um, his track record in the 80s with uh, Canadian athletics, um, a lot of people who don't know what they're talking about, I think, just point to drugs and say that that was the reason Ben Johnson succeeded. Yeah. But, you know, drugs are a fact of uh, elite-level athletics, and everyone was on drugs then. So, to me, the way you explain his unparalleled success is because he was an incredibly good coach. And even if you're not a track and field coach, you have to pay attention to those principles and see how you can make them work in your sport. Definitely. I mean, like I said, like I said to, be, to you before, I got to know Charlie Francis through you, actually. Um, so I read uh, The Speed Trap, and you don't realise that so many people at that time, it was a level playing field because the level playing field was doped up and there were so many drugs, yeah. so much drug use about, it's just unbelievable. But, yeah, so we got obviously keeping on the speed theme, like you said before, S&C coach has been comfortable in the gym. What kind of, what kind of stuff do you implement with your guys in Sydney that's kind of not in the gym but still speed-based? So, you know, Soviets again. I mean, this is this, most of this comes from a book called uh, Special Strength Training Manual for Coaches yeah. by uh, Yuri and Natalia Verkashansky. So there's another uh, plug. Yeah. Uh, Yuri Verkashansky is now dead, but his daughter, Natalia, is a, a PhD in her own right. And I spent um, five days with her and some other coaches last year in America. And it's been a, a huge, huge influence on my, my uh, development as a, a coach of speed. And what uh, the Verkashanskis and the Soviets talk about is is the combination of what they call motor potential, which is your ability to produce force through the CNS and the neuromuscular system, but also um, technical mastery. So that is how well can you actually apply the force that you have. Yeah. And you know they're they're two equally important factors to running fast. Now, if you were to ask the average strength and conditioning coach what do you need to run fast, they would only mention motor potential. Mm-hmm. And where I try and distinguish myself, and this is where athletes' performance are excellent as well, is in the, the, they call it movement skill, the application of your potential to produce force, because that's the real, um, the real difference for me. You know, the best runners, when they run, they look tidy. Yeah. Everyone else tends to look ugly. Yeah. No, that's good. I mean, with your getting to America, how did, just going back to the whole networking relationships thing, how did your trip to America come about with Verkashansky? This was even more obscure. Right, so, go. <laughs> it's going to be a long one. Right. In 2010, I wrote an article about um, what to do if you don't have a prowler. And okay. it was this genius idea, tongue-in-cheek, where you switch off the treadmill and just push the belt around with your feet. Nice. And um, that actually got received quite well on the website that I posted up to, which was Elite FTS, uh, which is another fantastic website. You need to check it out, which is where Buddy Morris and James Smith both post. And about a year after I wrote that article, 
I got a, an email from an editor at Muscle and Fitness, and he said, "I've just read your article. I like it. We want to interview you for the magazine and write it up." <laughs> right. So um, we did the interview, and this was around the same time that I was considering doing the athletes' performance mentorship. Yeah. And uh, obviously, the guy's American, so I said, uh, "You know, do do you know anything about AP? Is it good? Should I invest in the course?" And the guy said, well, I don't know, but I can put you in contact with a guy who does know. And it was another editor at the magazine. We, we emailed back and forth, asked him some questions. And uh, it turns out it was a guy who posted on Elite FTS. Uh, a couple of months later, I sent him an email about uh, block periodization and all the, the Soviet methods. Mm-hmm. And he said, look, rather than me just um, explain these methods to you and you get confused... How about you come out to a seminar in Virginia in uh, four months? I'll get you in for free. All you need to do is fly in. So, you know, <laughs> I, I booked the flight, flew in, complete stranger. Uh, I met him and I met the, the fitness editor of Muscle and Fitness and we spent four days in a hotel in the States. <laughs> nice. So another, yeah. another little example of good networking, good relationships. Every, you know, every single opportunity – you get offered, never say no. Definitely. You know, even if, you know, that, I was, I think I was, no, I wasn't an intern, I was an assistant then. Okay. Uh, so, that trip probably cost me a thousand pounds and I earned less than 10,000 pounds that year. So, <laughs> at the time, it was a big investment. Yeah. But I think if you, if you spend money on education, you're always going to get more than that back. Yeah. No, I totally Definitely. agree. Totally agree. So, yeah, looking at education, as part of my, ongoing education at the moment there's a lot of been a lot of debate through the guys uh, who I'm involved with with regards to movement screen and yeah. FMS in particular I know yeah. you've used it with your guys what's your take on it why you use it do you kind of modify it do you stick to the the traditional uh, screens tell us more how you use it yeah well you know I'm, I'm a big FMS fan and that's probably through my association with athletes performance. Um, I should say that the FMS comes under some criticism because uh, a lot of people say, you know, just because an athlete can in a screen doesn't mean that they will on the pitch. And the FMS doesn't account for the fatigue that athletes uh, experience on the pitch. And that's when movement starts to break down. Mm. Or um, if someone becomes aware of their score in an FMS or what scores are three or what scores are two, that changes the score. Yeah. However, with that said, the, the great thing about the FMS for me is it's a system and it allows you to organize your thoughts because I'm guilty of it still. Every coach out there overthinks things and they, they get uh, analysis paralysis. So what the FMS does is it helps you to red flag some things that you think might go wrong. It helps you to devise a plan of attack in terms of what you think is going to address performance in the quickest manner possible. And it just gives you, most importantly, a simple number to give to, to technical coaches because they don't want to hear about research or you know anatomy or physiology. If, if I've got the FMS, I can just go to a, a, a rugby coach and say, right, this guy's a 14, we don't need to worry about him. Yeah. This guy's a 9, here's his weakness, here's what we need to do. And that's that's great because systems make things work. And that's most important, getting the job done. However, with that said, 
uh, I think it was Craig Liebenson recently at uh, University of Stanford, held a debate between Stuart McGill and Gray Cook on screening and the value of screening. And in particular, speaking to the, the physios here at the Roosters, I've come to try to evolve my opinion a little bit more where the FMS is not the be-all and end-all of screening because it's so general. Mm. We need to start including some some screens which are specific to the sport and actually account for force production and fatigue and, and so on. So I would say anyone out there who wants to screen, the FMS is a fantastic grounding, but then you need to to add the cherry on top in maybe a screen that's specific to your sport and starts to account for fatigue and force production. So what kind of, I mean, might be a bit intrusive, but what kind of uh, additional screens might you implement for, for rugby, rugby lads? So, for example, um, you know, having done a lot of F- FMSs on rugby players, mm. you are never going to find a kicker who doesn't have a bad back and have uh, an asymmetrical active straight leg raise. Yeah. And from that, you can get some back pain stuff. You can get some adductor problems. You can get, you know, real tight piriformis stuff. So one of the things you could do maybe is say, right, well, if, if kickers have adductor problems, how about we start doing a, a squeeze test in three different positions uh, with the leg? If you've got a prop, for example, they're going to push in the scrum in uh, basically a squat position. Maybe you can start to analyze how they control their body in an isometric squat position under fatigue. Mm-hmm. Or if you've got an outside back, their job is basically to run fast. Maybe you should start analysing their their movement in sprinting uh, in slow motion. Mm. Very good. No, that's all right. That's cool. That's very cool. So, just getting on to, I mentioned your old website a little bit ago. Yeah. Um, you've got a new one out. Is that correct? I do. Yeah, I was on um, trainingbikeer.co.uk. Yeah. Uh, I started out very generals, just doing. Um, health, fitness, strength, nutrition, all that stuff. But then, you know, I realized the longer I work in rugby, the more I only get uh, questions from rugby players and I only work with rugby players. So I've decided to just stick to that niche now and I'm on uh, rugbystrengthcoach.com. And uh, it's there I'm just going to be writing about all different aspects of strength and conditioning for rugby for for coaches and athletes. Mm. And uh, I also have an online coaching program where I, I consult with individual players all over the world. So how does that kind of online coaching work? Is it Skype? Is it emails? Is it contact? Well, it's um, it's whatever people are comfortable with, really. Okay. Um, the way it works is it's it's not for for a beginner who who needs actively coaching throughout yeah. what to do. Yeah. What it is is more for players who who've got some experience in training. Uh, they're not beginners anymore, but now they start to need a bit more direction and a bit more complexity and a bit more intelligent programming. Mm-hmm. So what I'll do is I'll devise the program uh, for them uh, based on their individual needs and a consultation. I'll fire it over to them in uh, PDF so it works on their smartphone. Nice. <coughs> and then they can um, they can coach themselves through it. Excuse me. <coughs> so then once a week we check in by email or Skype or whatever. And we just adjust the process from there. And that's where that's where I sort of earn my money because everyone knows that every program works, but nothing works forever. So it's what you do when the program stops working. No, that's good. That's very good. So what? just mention that again, that website. It's rugbystrengthcoach.com. 
Nice. So if people just t- turn the tables a little bit. So you're, yeah. you've been out there as an intern um, looking for, you know, working from the best people, getting yourself out there. If some people wanted to make contact with you, with your background, yeah. with your experience, how could people go about that? Uh, they can get me through through the website, rugbystrengthcoach.com. They can get me on uh, Twitter, same name. And they can get me on Facebook, same name. So people are right to get in touch with you if they've got a couple of questions that what maybe want to answer please it? Please do. Yeah, please do. I get, you know, uh, one of the, well, it wasn't my article, but at the end of my internship, I, um, I did an interview on uh, Nick Grantham's. Oh, no, I didn't. Sorry, it wasn't an interview. I wrote an article called um, Seven Lessons I Learned as an Intern on yeah. uh, Nick Grantham's blog. Okay. Uh, hello? Oh, hello. Lost connection. Hi, mate. Hi, mate. Okay. Yeah, cool. Where did I get cut off? You just got cut off when you um, just were talking about your blog with Nick Grantham. Okay, so, yeah, I... Um, at the end of my internship at London Wasps, I wrote an article called um, Seven Lessons I Learned as an Intern. Yeah. And uh, I posted that over to, to Nick to see if he wanted to to do it as like a guest blog. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, it proved pretty popular. So <laughs> I peaked very early with that uh, treadmill nice. push article. Nice. One about being intern. And I still get emails now about getting started in the, the industry and about that article. Yeah, yeah. No, very good. Well, that's, uh, that's a good chat we've had. Good, 30, yeah. good quality 30 minutes. So what I'll do, I'll just, just round up and I'll... Um, and I'll well let me go to bed. Let you get on with your day. Yeah, so, awesome, yeah. Mate, cool. So if you want to get in touch with Kay, it's uh, you can get him on Twitter, get him on Facebook, and obviously his new website at Rugby Strength Coach. If you want to get uh, in touch with myself or you know through Kay, it's at Pacey Perform, and take a look at my website as well at PaceyPerformance.co.uk. So thank you for listening. Um, apologies for a little breakup. That's what you get when you're talking 3,000 miles or whatever it is. It's not ridiculous. But thank you you for listening, and we'll check out next time. See you later.